Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey everyone, welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to people about the best thing to ever happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. That's because sometimes the things that have a major influence on someone's life will never show up on a resume, in a conversation, or on the internet. I'm your host, Antonio Neves, and each week I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is someone I met from a previous guest on the podcast, Jess Ekstrom. Now, once I started digging into her and her background, I was like, yes, we need to get her on for an episode. Daryl Brewstein is a serial entrepreneur, author, and online educator. She's the co-founder of Equitable Payments and also Network Under 40. A writer, Dara is the author of a kid's book on financial literacy that I definitely have to get from my twins. She also writes for Forbes and has interviewed so many amazing people. That includes people like Deepak Chopra, Jillian Michaels, Seth Godin, Nikki Glaser, Shaq, and so many more. Now, all that's cool. And what's probably most impressive to me about Dara is that she's created a life where she gets to choose how she spends her time. Now, she's living proof that you can design a life you love and define success for yourself. Daryl, welcome to The Best Thing. It's the best thing to be here. <laughs> I like to hear that. So let, let, let's get straight into it. What's the best thing to ever happen to you uh, that doesn't include that traditional marker of success? You know, graduating from college, getting a degree, having kids, uh, those things that show up on resumes. What's the best thing to ever happen to you? Yeah, let's get right in it. So for me, it was after I graduated and sort of looked out over the horizon of, okay, I went to school, I got straight A's, I got the sexy job. I was like, okay, I'm totally on the path. I ended up getting laid off three times in my first three years out of school. And then this ended up being right at the peak of the recession. So I graduated in 06. Recession was kind of that seven and eight. It began to emerge and then it was in the thrust of it in 2009. And this is when I was experiencing layoff after layoff after layoff and starting to feel totally downtrodden. Like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I hold down a job? All my friends are blazing by me and making lots of money and I am floundering and struggling. And, you know, fast forward Cliff's notes, the best thing is now all these years later, I'm in my mid thirties. I have been able to carve out a path that works for me and design my life like you talked about to be able to choose how I spend my time, which for me is the ultimate value and freedom. And I'm so grateful now to all of the people who let me go and all those companies that went under, where at the time I begrudged them. And I felt like this was the most painful, gut-wrenching things that just kept happening to me over and over. When really, now I see it as the universe having helped pivot me down a path that I was too scared to take otherwise. Wow. Three layoffs in three years. And you give some you know, exceptional insight there is the universe giving you a message. As you know, the universe can be our friend. It will knock on your door. It will throw layoffs. It will throw people into your life until you're willing to learn what you most need to learn from the situation. Now, it, it took three th- three layoffs for you to, it sounds like, to make a pivot and transition in life. What allowed you to make that transition? Because I know some people who've experienced exactly that, multiple layoffs due to the economy, things that are out of their control, 
But instead on saying, hey, the universe is telling me there's a different path. Maybe there's something else I should do. They keep going back into the fray of seeking that job, seeking, quote unquote, stability, as opposed to betting on themselves like you did. Well, so third time's a charm. (laughs) But actually, for me, it's instinct and intuition that I've always been someone who is a decision maker based on tapping into my intuition or my gut instinct. And for some people, they would call this universe, some would call it energy, some would call it God, some would call it gut. For me, it is just that I know in my gut when something needs to be adjusted. And it doesn't always mean that there's deep clarity and I know exactly where I'm going, but I can always tell when that's happening. And so you reference this knocking on the door. There's a very famous Maya Angelou quote that I'll paraphrase, which is basically the universe will throw pebbles and then stones and then rocks and then boulders until you pay attention. And I felt like I was basically getting close to the boulder where at this point it was like rock layoff one, stone layoff two, close to boulder layoff three. And at that point, after first job, which was in the fashion industry, I lost, I had just bought a home. I was 23 years old and I had bought it in duress having had a restraining order against my landlord. And suddenly my grown up job is gone. And I'm thinking, oh shoot, I have to get my bills paid. I don't want to foreclose on this house. And that set me on this chain of get the next job, get the next job. But even though I was following the path that everyone prescribed as this is the way that success looks, I had to trust my gut and stop for a minute and be like, well, your method isn't working for me. And I know from the data that it actually wasn't personal, meaning, you know, the company just went under and it had nothing to do with my performance. Or in my first business, they said to me, you're going to be required to sell a million dollars worth of product in the next three years. And I did it in 10 months. So I knew that I was performing and overperforming. So in that case, I'm thinking, okay, well, the data says that you can sell. The data says that you can outperform your goals. And the data says that the economy is collapsing. So these aren't actually personal. So what is it that's not working? And why is this happening to you over and over again? And I started to think about some of the stories that I had been spoon fed of, you know, in addition to go to school, get good grades, get the job, get the wife and or the husband and the kids and the happily ever after. And I started thinking, well, what was my dream? What does success mean to me? And when I started reflecting back at things like in my childhood and what gave me joy and what brought me energy and what did people come to me for and what was I naturally drawn to doing and all of those types of things and even looking at those first three jobs and asking myself those similar types of questions, it became ever apparent to me that I had always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I'd always wanted to start a business. I just didn't necessarily have the language of entrepreneur when I was that young, but that I had been slowly conditioned to believe that to do that, you needed a ton of experience or to do that, you needed a ton of resources in your bank account or to fundraise or to do that. You know, people were telling me you're the inpatient millennial who just needs to wait her turn and climb the ladder. And so that's what I was doing. And then when I realized, well, that ladder just keeps knocking out from under me, maybe I need to actually get off the ladder and go to the thing that my heart has been calling of me to do for a really long time and take the reins into my own hands. Because the story that I had to rewrite was that it is no more scary and it is no more safe to work for yourself than it is to work for someone else. And that is what really shifted the balance for me where I thought, well, instead of showing up to work one day, killing my sales goals and doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing, and then some, then finding out that my job and this company in some cases no longer exist, let me take the reins into my own hands and ultimately design my own future. 
Wow, there's so many amazing things to unpack from there. A lot of knowledge you just shared. The first thing I want to bring up out of that is when I'm speaking across the country, there's always a moment when I'm, when I'm speaking to professionals, Dara, or speaking to college students that everything just stops in the room. And that's when I say, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're supposed to be doing it. And what I'm hearing you say is, holy moly, for all the outward markers of success, even meeting that goal, a year goal in 10 months, which is exceptional. So just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're supposed to be doing it. Can you unpack that a little bit? Because there's that man, that woman listening right now that that's killing it at their job, getting results, maybe not getting laid off, but they feel like because they're getting results, they shouldn't pivot or even think about other options. Yeah, I'm really glad that that's advice that you share because not only was that true for me in the fashion industry where I thought, well, one, the reason I stepped into that space in the first place was I took the advice of do the thing you're passionate about and build your career around it. And at 22, the only thing I knew that I wanted to do and make money around was work in fashion. Yet every day I was miserable. I was selling wholesale two and $300 jeans basically living out of my SUV, driving around seven states in the Southeast United States, eating alone at Carabas and staying at two and a half star hotels with walk-up doors where I was afraid that someone would like come in in the middle of the night. And that's what my life looked like, even though it was so sexy on paper and I was crushing these goals and I got to go to cool trade shows and go to cool parties at the Versace mansion and places like that. It was miserable. And I wanted to leave and my coworkers were not supportive and it was very catty and there were just issue after issue. So even though I was doing really well, I knew that this was not for me. But my problem was, is I kept saying, well, I'm going to leave and I'm looking, quote unquote, but I was comfortable and I was doing a good job. So having no idea what to do next, I needed the forces of nature to kick me out of there to light a fire under my butt to find something else. And apparently I needed that three times to get there. Another example of this is when I was growing up, I got really into film photography and When I was in high school, I got to the point where my photography teachers were saying, you have to go to art school. This needs to be your career. And I decided, okay, I'm going to be a fashion photographer until I went to college and decided to study religion and Italian and just kind of minor in photography until I apprenticed with actual photographers. And I learned how it killed my love for art and photography to to commoditize it or to make money off of it. And that That was the last thing that I wanted to do professionally. And that sometimes the things you're good at need to remain in a silo. Sometimes they need to remain a hobby. Sometimes they can be a side hustle, but they don't necessarily have to be your primary revenue generator. What a brilliant reminder for people right now who every single day as they go open up to social media or post and they're being told this message that you must stop everything and make this hobby your income maker. And I'd love to hear you kind of reframe that and say that that doesn't have to be the case. What I also love about what you're saying, Dara, is that you're talking about, you know, you're doing exceptionally well at this career. And on the outside, everyone's looking at you like, oh my goodness, she's killing it. They, they, All they know is you're on the road. They don't know that you're going into that hotel. Those hotels that I've stayed in that are very scary, where there's just a door facing the street and some dude in their family who lives next door. But let's take that to another level because not only did you make that decision to go and do something else again after three layoffs, but one thing we don't talk about is family and friends. And again, something else I tell audiences is, hey, guess what? When you do decide to bet on you, when you do make that courageous step, your family and friends won't always understand. 
So how did you navigate making that decision when you did what you were supposed to do? You got the job, right? You went to college, got your degree, and then you decided to do something else. That resistance that you received from family and friends, how did you, if you, if you received it, how did you combat that? So the most pressing moment I had of resistance from family, I always tell my mom, sorry, I'm going to throw you under the bus. It, she's probably <laughs> one of the people that'll listen. <laughs> we, you and I talked about this privately, but I am a twin and he and I went into business together 10 years ago. So when I suffered the three layoffs and made a decision to go into business, it was with my brother because he came to me with an idea, which I have a lot of empathy for any entrepreneurs or ones who want to be, who know they want to be one, but don't have an idea. He came to me with an idea. At first, I scoffed at it because I said, credit card processing sounds tremendously boring. How dare you? I just worked in the sexy fashion industry and high-end home audio video and all these other places. Don't insult me. Until I checked my ego and I realized, actually, I can reverse engineer the things that I'm passionate about because I did it the other way the first time. Take the thing you're passionate and build your career around it. What if I reverse engineer and take the things that I enjoy and get energized by on a day-to-day basis and then back my way into being passionate about the thing? So in this case, credit card processing. And ding, 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 that worked. It was awesome. And I'm so happy that I did it. However, along that path, I'd say about three or four years in, we had suffered our second embezzlement. And my mom calls me when I'm in a pile of my own tears because I think I don't have it to keep going and I'm feeling really down. And she says, you know what? I think that you should quit. And in that moment, I felt so betrayed. And I felt like, how dare you? You're the person that I most need to see that I can do this and believe in me and not add doubt to my pile of doubt. But it also fueled me. It also made me realize, you know what? I have more in me and I'm going to do this. And you don't have to see that or believe that. And you're saying this from a place of love and concern and from projection of your own entrepreneurial endeavors and your own experiences. And I can't fault you for any of that, but it set me on this path to keep going. And so there were plenty of moments like that where even as brother, sister team in running a business, we had our own scuffles that our family uninvitedly got involved in. And in those moments, you really just have to look at what are your values? What matters? How are you going to keep pushing through and quitting strategically? So I could have quit in that moment and nothing that has unfolded since then would have happened because that thing, that business became the foundation on which I built everything else. And if I had done that at that time, it wouldn't have been in congruence with my actual authentic self and what I actually knew was best for me. It would have been because I conceded to what my mom told me to do versus there's other things that I quit along the way and they were strategic and they created space for other things that were more aligned in that moment. I love hearing you say that. And for everyone listening right now, I mean, you probably had that conversation with your mom, with your dad or a dear friend that cares about you. And when they give that advice, sometimes they're, they're speaking from that place, as you mentioned, Dara, from love, but it may not always be the best advice. So we have to be careful what advice we receive and what advice we just decide to say, hey, thank you. But but no, thank you. And, and I love that you men- mentioned strategic quitting and someone you've interviewed, Seth Godin, for the listeners. There's an amazing book called The Dip. That there's something you sh- you're considering quitting before you do read The Dip by Seth Godin. It's a, an amazing read. Dare I want to dip in on something. Dip. Look at that. I'm, I'm on fire today. I want to dip in on something that you mentioned earlier. Uh, and you said at some point as you were deciding what to do next after those layoffs that it came to you that, hey, it's no more scary for me to work for myself than it is to work for another company. I mean, you're someone that got laid off by three different places. For that person that's listening that, that, that gets that from an intellectual perspective, 
but maybe their their mind frame is more so hey what if it doesn't work out as opposed to what if it does work out is there anything you've done over the course of your life to to reframe the what if it doesn't work out to what if it does work out yeah i mean just that alone is so powerful of just asking yourself the opposite question asking yourself questions like whose story is that is it mine like so if you're having those doubts are those really your doubts are they coming from other people and to diligently dive with why, 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 why into the real undercurrent. So for me, when I was really afraid to get the first business started, a lot of the fears that percolated were things like, what if I fail? Are people going to laugh at me? And are they going to think that I suck? And then what am I going to do? And how am I going to pay my mortgage? And my bank account doesn't have that much of a reserve in it. And, you know, am I smart enough? Do I have the tools? Do people want this? Like all those questions started to unfold. But I started to then just do a couple things that got me through that. One was to just take small actions that I didn't even have to own as permanent ones. So instead of saying like, okay, I'm putting my flag in the ground and I'm saying here to forth, I will be doing credit card processing. Hear ye, hear ye, everyone needs to know. I didn't have to start that way. I was able to go back to my retail clients in the fashion world and just start talking to them and saying, is this something you would want? What have your experiences been like in this place? And just gather data and start to reestablish those relationships and begin to see like, is it really as scary and daunting as it seems? Are people interested in this? Let's just start moving. The other thing that I've learned too is when you take action, it becomes the kryptonite or antidote to the fear. That any fear that is coming up is generally trying to halt you from your growth. So when you can just start moving and walking into it, it dissipates. And also if you can use historic evidence or data to prove or disprove whatever the fear is saying, that really helps. So for me, if I'm getting the voice that's saying you're not good enough, which comes up for me all the time, I look back and think, okay, well, where are times where I haven't been good enough? Or can I not find them? Where are times when I actually fell on my face and it was really embarrassing and I can't really find them? Then I can start to be like, "Mm, I think that voice is a liar and I'm just going to start moving and I don't have to know the entire trajectory or roadmap, but I'm going to put intention into action. I, I hear you say all of this and what blows my mind is someone's listening to this right now and if they're not familiar with you and your work, they're like, where has she been? Thank goodness. They can't wait to go learn more about you because you're that, that friend, that person that they probably didn't know existed. I'm, listen, I'm a guy with a graduate degree, undergraduate degree, and I just wish everything, the way you're framing it, how you're talking about it, I wish this was taught to people in middle school, high school, university, et cetera. And so I'm glad you have the book for, for kids to get them thinking about money from an early age because unfortunately, the way you just frame that, dipping into data to disprove fear uh, is super powerful. One thing that I haven't heard from you, and I'm curious what you think about this, is throughout this conversation, even through those three layoffs, what I didn't perceive from you is that at any point, and maybe you did briefly, you saw yourself as a victim in the situation. But but I'm curious if there was a moment when you saw, found yourself as a victim to a layoff, and some people are finding themselves a victim to a to a breakup or who knows, a bankruptcy, you name it. What do you say to that man or woman, woman, how they can shift from victimhood to, to being more present to, like you just said, taking that first step? Yeah. So I definitely was not as good at this back then as I am now. And I really have learned this tremendously through my friend Deepak, where he says every morning when he wakes up, his one ask for the day is for more uncertainty because he wants less resistance in anything that comes to him, because he knows that the only certainty in life is uncertainty. So when things like that happen, to just trust that it is 
working in your best interest. And that if you create stress, resistance, anxiety, or otherwise, as a result of it, you're creating that. That is your choice. We can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we react to it. So, you know, there's many things that have happened even in the recent months and years that haven't gone the way that I've wanted, or they've been disappointing. Like, for example, I was trying to sell one of my businesses recently, and I was right on the precipice and it didn't work out. And I had this moment of feeling really down about it. And I very quickly shifted my perspective to thinking, that's okay. I've already learned X, Y, and Z through this process. I've gained these tremendous insights. I've learned how to sell a business. I've developed XYZ relationships and the path isn't over. There's still an opportunity to sell this business. And through just quickly shifting the perspective to trusting and recognizing that there's so many things to be grateful for until that happened in that process and up until and in that moment, everything shifted from pity party for one to, okay, what's next? When you, th- when you say that, I think about the question, what can I learn from this? Uh, this is happening for me as opposed to, to to me. And it does allow for for massive shifts, though it's not always easy. When my wife, <laughs> you'll appreciate this one, when my wife was pregnant with uh, our kids, uh, I think a therapist I was seeing at the time, and I was talking about my little fear and overwhelm, he said something to the extent of, your children will be your teacher. Mm. And I had no idea what he was talking about until I had two young kids in my life that Every, you know, situation is I get to choose how I react to this, whether I'm frustrated, whether I'm fatigued, whether it's 4 a.m., et cetera. So I appreciate you sharing that. And how dope is it that you can say my friend Deepak? <laughs> that is a pinch yourself. Oh, and, and, and that's a whole other conversation because <laughs> I really appreciate him and his work and his books over the years. Just a couple more things I want to dig into with you. And you've alluded to this, but you didn't directly say it. But can you talk a bit about on this journey of yours the role people have played in supporting you, because my guess is throughout all of this in this journey, you haven't done it alone. Though people may come to you and your, your social media, your profiles, and they see this amazing, successful woman. And, you know, people make assumptions that she's a self-made. She did it on her own. And that does not take away from the hours upon hours of works and, and ups and downs. But I like to remind people that people are willing to help you and we must be willing to ask for that help. So I'm just curious about you and your approach with with people and relationships over the years? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the three major pillars of the work that I do, which is on building community and networks because they are not only the people that are going to make the journey a lot more fun, but they are the keys to unlocking the success that you're seeking, however you define that. And so it's this interesting dichotomy where we each have to be our own biggest cheerleaders and champions and drive the ship and make things happen. But if you're trying to do that alone, you are tremendously undervaluing the impact that you can make and how much more can happen when you bring in others. And it doesn't even have to be on your team, but it's by having people to support you. It's by having collaborators, It's by having referral partners, it's any type of relationship. And so I am just a tremendous believer in that you need to be able to build relationships where first you are giving to others. And I can share an exercise on this if that's helpful, that makes it really tangible. But then that you are also able to receive. And I think for anyone like me specifically, who I'm a natural giver, I'm a giver to the point where it's been modeled for me that you should be a martyr. And thank almighty Adam Grant for his work in give and take that delineates this in a scientific fashion, that there's givers, matchers, and takers in the world. And that much to many people's surprise, givers are the winners, but the biggest losers are martyrs, givers who give too much with no boundary. 
So it's when you're a giver who can also receive, but isn't doing it from a knee-jerk reciprocity or I scratch your back, you scratch mine perspective, who win. They don't win the fastest, though. You have to play the long game and have some stamina. And my entire career has been an anecdote of that, that when you go out seeking ways to elevate other people, it comes back to you, often in an interesting karmic retribution way, as I like to call it, where it's not, I help Antonio, Antonio helps me. Sometimes that's the case, but it might be, Jess helped me, I help Antonio, Antonio helps Jess. And that is a beautiful cycle that we can trust and know that works. So the exercise that I mentioned, I call it the give it forward challenge. And this is a really powerful exercise to help you understand that which you have to offer, not take it for granted. It helps you pour more deeply into the relationships that you have. It also helps you touch back with other people in relationship when you want to help the person that you're offering to help. And it brings you a ton of joy. And so the exercise is simple. For a recommended 30 days, do it as short or long as you actually want. You intentionally reach out to one person a day and ask them how you can help them in some way with no strings attached. You do not promise that you can do it, but you promise that you will try. And you will be amazed at the reactions. You will be amazed at the impact you can make. You will be amazed at how much you can do in a couple minutes a day and all of the positive byproducts that come because of it. Well, we'll share a link to that in the show notes. And that's just a powerful reminder. Like even right now, I'm thinking about five people. I know you said one person. I'm thinking about five people I want to do that for and, how, <laughs> yeah, and, and how much they will appreciate that. But I'm also thinking about, man, uh, how many times, to your point, I've rejected uh, receiving for whatever reason. It could be old, old stories. That, that's for another podcast. But how much I've rejected that support or, or guidance or et cetera. So thank you for sharing that. And, and you referenced Adam Grant um, while you're just speaking for folks. She has an amazing article with Adam Grant available on her website that you should read as well. As we get ready to to wind down uh, in this interview, and I'm so appreciative of you and your time and what you've shared over the course of this time together, um, what are some things you do to ensure the best thing is ahead of you? as opposed to behind you? I ask that question because as you know, in our society, especially as I speak on college campuses a lot, people always say, oh, the, the college is the best years of your life. <laughs> and, I, and I'm a firm believer, and I used to believe that because I didn't know any better. That's just the data I received. But today I can tell you, I, I firmly believe that if you believe the best thing is behind you, something is wrong because we woke up today and we there's a path forward that we get to carve. So what do you do to ensure the best thing is ahead of you instead of behind you? Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. But actually, I believe that the best moment is now mm. and that it's not about the past. The past got me to here and so I'm grateful for it, but it's not about being stuck in that. And it's about having a lens to the future for me. It's about having a North Star. It's about aligning that North Star with my values, which means I need to be keenly aware of what those are so that the actions and intention that I take moving forward are aligned with that. But for me, it, the real challenge and the real living is in now because that's all that exists. So when we get stuck in either the past or the, or the future, that's tricky because then we're never actually experiencing. So there's moments in the present where I'll stop and think, okay, what's the intention for the future? And then I do my best in the most and least Buddhist way possible to release the expectation of how it unfolds and let it just be. And this trips people up because they think, oh, I just sit back and I don't do anything. I am a very diligent and persistent and consistent worker. And I think there are three of the reasons that I've had the success that I've had. So it doesn't mean that you don't put in work. 
but you are present in it. You're enjoying the work that you're doing. If you're only excited about the outcome for anyone who has ever done this, it's the, it's this like myth of when it's when I get the house, the kids, the title, the pay raise, the sale, then I'm going to feel happy or happier. And it never feels like that. It might temporarily, and then it is gone. So if you can't enjoy the moments and the process, even the ones that aren't necessarily enjoyable, that are just you being a professional and working through the challenging stuff, then what's the point anyway? So getting more comfortable with the present and the process, I think, builds you the future that you can look forward to while being present. I dig that. And I love what you say, diligent, persistent and consistent. And one thing I think society we don't uh, celebrate enough is consistency, especially uh, speaking of consistency, of course, the work you've done for a variety of years now is, is exceptional. You have so many amazing resources and, and things available online. Where would you invite people to, to learn more about you and your work? Well, thank you. Two places. One, head to my website to access all this free stuff that we're talking about. It's just D-A-R-R-A-H.co. It's dara.co. And on there, you can get things like a free masterclass that Deepak Chopra and I created on getting anything you want. There's things like the 55 best questions to ask to break the ice and really get to know someone, as well as things like the shit no one tells you about starting a business and dozens upon dozens of celebrity interviews that are going to really peel back the curtain on what it took to get them where they are. And then on Instagram, I show up every single day offering inspirational, inspirational, inspirational and actionable stuff while keeping it super real. So check me out there at Dara B. I like inspirationable. I think that sounds pretty good. We should, <laughs> we should we should just own. I, again, I want to say thank you. You mentioned you know giving and receiving earlier, and today you gave me uh, some of your day, some of your time with with barely knowing me via a referral from our mutual friend Jess. So thank you so much for for making time. This this has been valuable for me as a person interviewing you, and I know already it's going to be valuable. Uh, to the folks out there uh, listening. So once again, Dara, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you. And actually, if I may, that description is exactly why you need people in the world to have the success that you wrote in on Justice Coattails of the trust and relationship I have with her. So I didn't question and I said yes. And that's how the world works. So build those relationships. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. 